The man who at one point was assumed to be Missouri's top target at defensive coordinator now appears to be on the cusp of being Auburn's next defensive coordinator. So let's compare notes on these two situations coming up right now on Locked on Mizzou. You are Locked on Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, all you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and the talker of Missouri fans off the ledge here on the podcast. But you know what? Before I do a little bit more of that, I want to tell you that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets. Guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. And I want to start by talking a little bit about DJ Durkin because a few days ago at this point, well, he had sort of emerged based on reporting by Gabe DeArmond and perhaps some others as well, mostly Gabe from, from my recollection. But DJ Durkin was a real big-time target for Missouri. Now, if you listen to yesterday's program, I went into a little bit detail about Durkin's background, but I'm not going to do that here because, number one, I don't want to bore all of you everydayers, but secondly, it would appear that Missouri has moved on from DJ Durkin or... Did DJ Durkin move on from Missouri? That appears to be in a little bit of question. Now, from what I heard, I didn't hear anything specific around the Missouri reporting, but I do have a buddy over at the University of Auburn. Yes, locked on Auburn's own Zach Blackerby. And I was talking to Zach this morning, just asking him, hey, how's it? how you feeling with that D.C. search? Seems like Missouri was talking to Durkin as well. And Zach said, was told that Durkin told Missouri no yesterday. But... That's from an Auburn person, which is an important note there by Zach, by by the way, excuse me, because it's quite possible that Durkin did turn down Missouri, though that wouldn't make a a ton of sense, in my opinion, because to me, if if I'm going to say that, well, if LSU is essentially a lateral move for a defensive coordinator from Missouri next season, I'm going to say that Auburn is a lateral move at best. I think most of us would assume that Missouri is going to be ranked quite a bit higher than Auburn coming into the preseason next year. Now, of course, who knows? Two year two year two, excuse me, of of who of Hugh Freeze. Easy for me to say. I'm clearly trying to get this podcast done a little bit too quickly here today, folks. My apologies for being a little bit tongue tied here at the top, but. Regardless, Hugh Freeze could certainly come through in year two and prove all of this talk maybe a little bit foolish in retrospect. But as we sit here today, it just seems hard for me to believe that if Missouri's willing to pay $2 million, perhaps even more in average annual value, that Auburn would just, would just be, oh, the obvious destination over Missouri. Again, Who knows? Maybe DJ Durkin has his own reasons, his own personal reasons for preferring Auburn, etc. I'm just saying, take that report from Zach Blackerby, who is a really 
really trustworthy guy. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, even when he says, but that's from an Auburn person, that's him very wisely covering all his bases there and saying, hey, this could be just somebody putting something out there, secondhand information, all that kind of deal. So again, no reason to panic here whatsoever. And Again, as I told Zach here, I had heard something similar there that the ship had sailed. I just hadn't heard the the no part. And it sounds like, again, according to Zach Blackerby here, it sounds like we were waiting for Kristen Kiffin's season to end, linebacker coach for the Texans. Guess he said no, then they went to Durkin. There's some pushback from Auburn people, not the athletic department, because of the whole Maryland stuff. And again, if you joined me yesterday, you know the little bit of the background there. But unfortunately, when DJ Durkin was the head coach at Maryland, a player had heat stroke at practice, then died two weeks later. And ultimately, DJ Durkin was let go from Maryland. So that's basically where we are with DJ Durkin. And I couldn't help but ask. Zach, one more question. I said, do you have a bunch of fans as this is all wrapping up here? Perhaps we don't know. Still, still no, no official word here as I record the show here on Tuesday morning on DJ Durkin in the Auburn position. But I did have to ask like Missouri fans right now, at least the ones who spend a lot of time online, do you have a bunch of Auburn fans freaking out saying, this is taking too long, what are we going to do? And he says, of course. I keep saying there's no difference in having a defensive coordinator on January 1st versus January 30th. And he also notes that we have a co-defensive coordinator, so it doesn't matter from a recruiting standpoint. So now there is maybe a slight difference there for Missouri. Now, the Tigers had a co-defensive coordinator last year as well. So as I'm talking it out here, I'm now arguing against myself. Everybody likes that part of the show. But as I then think that out just a little bit further through, actually it sounds like Missouri is in a very similar position to Auburn. And again, what is the difference between, as Zach puts it here, having a defensive coordinator on New Year's Day or having it the last day of January? Again, as long as you get the right guy, since the portal is closed right now, we just had the early signing period for high school recruiting. It's not just, It's really not that big of a deal right now at this point. Again, bottom line on the defensive coordinator position, well, even though this is taking a little bit longer than I think most Missouri fans, perhaps even Eli Drinkwitz himself, would have expected, as others have pointed out, it took a few weeks for Missouri to settle on Kirby Moore as his offensive coordinator last season. That took a little bit as well. And by the way, when Kirby Moore was hired, it wasn't as though people thought, aha, that was the perfect guy. That's exactly who I had in mind. And by golly, this is an absolute home run hire. No, and yet it still worked out in the long run, even though it maybe took a week or two more than some people on tigerboard.com may have liked. Ultimately, I just don't understand why people are being this hysterical about something that they really have no knowledge on whatsoever. And again, as I said yesterday, I think based on Eli Drinkwitz hirings of coordinators so far, Blake Baker, Kirby Moore in particular, 
I think he deserves some benefit of the doubt. Now, I did have a little bit of pushback on that comment on X.com yesterday from at you got robbed. And Rob said, well, I mean, Steve Wilkes was an average was no, excuse me. He, he went farther than that. He said, I mean, Wilkes was an awful college coordinator. So it's basically a coin flip so far at defensive coordinator. So basically, hey, an awful hire with Steve Wilkes and a great hire with Blake Baker. That's a coin flip. But I don't accept that premise. I really don't. I think that's a bit of a of a missed memory there because even though it was genu- truly an awful start by Steve Wilkes, the first half of the season with Missouri in 2021, that defense was god-awful, no question. But you know what? The second half of the season, the Missouri defense was trending up once Al Davis came aboard as one of the defensive line coaches. And correct me if I'm wrong here, folks, but my memory is that most Missouri fans were generally disappointed when Wilkes decided to go back to the NFL because it felt like whatever maybe the transition period was, because Wilkes had been an NFL head coach, or excuse me, an NFL coach period in the NFL realm for over a decade before he got to Missouri. So whatever adjustment period maybe there was going from NFL defense to college defense, whether it was game day, game planning, game day adjustments, whatever it might be, it seemed like Wilkes had adjusted there that second half of the season and the whole Missouri defense had as well. So Again, I'm not saying Wilkes was a great hire by any stretch of the imagination, but I think awful is a little bit too far. And in fact, I think most Missouri fans would have been happy at the time if Wilkes would have come back for a second season. So just a little bit of context there. And on yesterday's show, I pointed out how an 11-1 and Missouri team could potentially get left out in the cold for the SEC championship game in 2024. But I had a a listener suggest something that was both a solution and something that terrified me. But I know that the executives over at Disney, including Bob Iger, have got to be doing backflips when they hear this particular suggestion. So you're going to want to hear it coming up for sure. But first, I want to tell you about FanDuel Sportsbook because, well, the NFL season just about over. We've got championship week and we've got the Super Bowl, but that does still mean there's plenty of opportunities to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. And the app is so incredibly intuitive and easy to use. You'll just want to pound the Kansas City Chiefs plus three and a half. Am I right? Come on. No, for real, I, I seriously do think the Chiefs this week are a stay away after I basically rode them the last two weeks. Very strongly against Miami. Was less confident against Buffalo. Now I think you got to stay away. I'm never betting against Patrick Mahomes, but all season I felt like Baltimore was the better side. So let's just stay away. But regardless, maybe you disagree with me, and if you do, the best place to put your money where your mouth is is FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. It's FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 
Thanks for making Locked On Mizzou your first listen every day. For your second listen, check out Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. That's Locked On Sports Today on YouTube. And you know what? Speaking of YouTube, I definitely have a love-hate relationship with the YouTube comments. So often, it's just very mean-spirited people with their cutting comments that frankly cut through my delicate little heart. But you know what? I go through that pain for all of you because occasionally you do dredge up a diamond in the rough from indeed the bottom of the river of the YouTube comments. But Pro Rex 1911 yesterday had one of my favorite comments in quite a while as I had the pointed out the athletic scenario where for example LSU next season, let's say they go 12 and 0, Missouri, Texas and Georgia all have one loss. Well, if the tiebreakers for the SEC title game which have not been established yet by the way, but if it's the same as the division structure, well, Missouri would be left out in the cold there because they would not have a common opponent between those three teams. The winner of Georgia and Texas would go on to face LSU. So that obviously wouldn't make myself or any of you, I don't think, very happy in that scenario. In fact, well, we might just burn Lawrence all over again just for the fun of it. Just kidding, FBI, if you're listening. But seriously, this comment here by ProRex1911, here was his solution. He said, might as well make the SEC championship a four-team playoff. LOL. So obviously ProRex was being a little bit sarcastic there. But I'm just telling you, do not say that in the in the presence of Disney CEO Bob Iger because he will grab that idea with both hands. Can you imagine creating two new properties like that that would probably get, what, 25 to 30 million viewers, the SEC semifinals? It, it's almost such a brilliant idea that I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Now, do I want to see this happen no, I do not, because then at a certain point, you're getting to a 64-team March Madness-style tournament, and I don't know. I think we can leave that to the lower divisions, personally. I, I like college football to be a little bit more traditional than that. I'd like a a 10-2 and two type season, an 11-1 and one type season to be more meaningful, is basically what I'm trying to say. At a certain point, you do ruin the regular season, but I did have to chuckle quite a bit at a really good comment there by Pro Rex nineteen eleven. Why not make the SEC championship a four team playoff? Well, from from a dollars and cents standpoint, I have a hard time arguing with it. I got a bit. I got to admit. Now, to me, one positive to take away from Missouri's. Latest loss in basketball, well, of course, Tamar Bates scoring 36 points against Florida. That's a, that's a heck of a positive. What a game for Tamar and just a great season he's had so far in general. But, hey, the gold uniforms look pretty good too, right? But the old school block M style gold uniforms. But you know what? Unfortunately, 
Something that did leave a little bit to be desired, at least in this podcaster's opinion, is the the merchandise that was released alongside that. Yes, you can go buy the shorts and the uniforms, at least a version that Missouri rocked this past Saturday, but not really the version that you saw. Because to me, not only Nike, it's not a Nike version of these uniforms that you buy on Mizzou, the Mizzou store, which... Listen, I don't care about a, a, a black swoosh, whether that's on there or not, but just the actual golds. Well, here's an ongoing problem with Missouri. The actual golds from these uniforms did not match. So to me, I thought that was a little bit disappointing. I think Missouri's done a good job in recent years of being first class. I thought that was a little bit of a second class move from the merchandise perspective. And frankly, one area where I think Missouri could be better is the merchandise side of things. And I do wonder also, another person had a good question. Can't remember who this was. I think it was somebody I was actually interacting with off of the whole locked on Mizzou universe. Yes, I have people I talk to IRL, everybody, but. My question is, why no name, image, and likeness jerseys for basketball? In other words, in football right now, you can buy a Luther Burden jersey through the Fanatics site. Or basically, 90% of the guys that would seem on the roster, you can buy their jersey with their specific number and their name on the back as well. Why is that not available for basketball? If I want to buy a Trent Pierce jersey or a Noah Carter jersey or a Connor Vanover jersey, Nick Honor, whoever it might be, why can't I do that? Because I know it's not because of the laws, because if obviously if you can do it for football, you can do it for basketball. And it's not a sport thing either. I've seen the glittering Baylor pro shop, whatever you want to call it, the, the team merchandise store. Baylor has all kinds of name, image, and likeness jerseys you can buy, not only on the men's side, but I believe on the women's side as well. Why is that not available? I'm a little bit confused. Is Missouri just not simply not high enough up the rung there for fanatics to be able to produce those jerseys seemingly on demand? I'm, I'm just curious about that whole process, but it would definitely, I think Missouri's done a fantastic job under the Desiree Reed Francois administration of improving the fan experience, I think one place we have a long way to go still is with merchandise, even with the Nike merchandise. It just seems to me a lot of it's a little bit tired and old and basic. The, you know, the sweatshirts and the shirts that are available out there in the Missouri market. You know, speaking of Blake Baker, well, that guy, him and Kirby Moore and Eli Drinkwitz, they always have better jackets and hats and sweatshirts than those of us in the general public can actually buy. Why is that? I'm ready to upgrade my Missouri wardrobe. I really am. But there's just not that much on the market that's all that inspiring. And coming up a little bit more on the basketball on the court and the fan experience as well. And quickly, I do want to touch on the Sports Illustrated story and how it really didn't have to end this way. Very unnecessary ending for Sports Illustrated in my mind. But you know what? We'll talk about that coming up after these quick words. So one thing with Dennis Gates in his system so far, obviously we know defensively that he prefers to switch 
one through five. And I just got to say, there's nothing wrong with that in in theory. But the problem is, I think when Connor Vanover is at the game, I think you have to have different principles defensively. He's not capable of switching on the guards at this point in his career. Maybe at any point in his career that I've been able to see going back to some to his time at, at Arkansas. He needs to be close to the basket, and if he's going to be involved in in high ball screens, well, he needs to play drop coverage and get his big body into the paint. That's all there is to it. And the guards who are being screened either need to go under or fight over the top because, to me, switching is not an option. And, and same thing off the ball, by the way, too. If Connor's going to get screened off the ball – I just think too often he's getting caught in situations that he shouldn't be in. So to me, switch one through four when Vanover's in the game. If you want to switch one through five with Butler in the game, Pierce in the game, that kind of deal, a fine and dandy. And to a lesser extent, I could probably say the same thing about Mabor Majak as well. Now, again, not a lot to love about the actual game other than Tamar Bates at Mizzou Arena, but I will say the the experience still had a good time at the arena. You know, my mom went to the first game of the year, and it's, you know, just good perspective because now that I've been to 10, 15 games on the season, whatever it's been, you start to get new used to some of the new things. Well, when you have a new person with you, you start to lock in again to those new improvements like the sound system for example a massive improvement this year I think most people notice of course the black seats the new video boards but I think even more subtly the sound system now that you can play the the club music the the pump them up kind of music that is ubiquitous now at these type of games whether it's Missouri football or basketball now it works without having to destroy your eardrums. And believe it or not, that is a major, major change. And something that I know my mom in particular was a big fan of. She's saying, hey, I don't mind the music as long as they're not actually destroying my eardrums as they often are doing at Faroe Field. So big thumbs up there. Also big thumbs up to the FaceTime call to Norm Stewart on his birthday. I thought that was a great touch. Even if there was a slight technical glitch for just a second, I think Norm got the, got the feeling of the love. I think that went off about as well as you could have expected. Great idea and thumbs up to whoever's idea that was. And by the way, Red Panda, a perfect performance after I heard at the women's basketball game, maybe not her best outing, but after having seen Red Panda up close and personal several times, I actually think the fact that she isn't perfect makes it more fun. It makes you sit a little bit more on the edge of your seat and root for her. I think a little bit, it makes her more relatable almost because if she's just this perfect robot that can do this admittedly incredibly impressive stunt without any flaws whatsoever. Well, that kind of takes the drama out of it a little bit. So the fact that yes, again, occasionally she'll drop a bowl. She's not absolutely perfect. I like that part of a live performance, but that's just me. I think that's part of the secret sauce of why Red Panda really is a, a really, really fun halftime act without a doubt. And finally, before we get out of here, I do want to talk just a little bit about Sports Illustrated because as somebody who went to Mizzou, 
the University of Missouri Journalism School, graduated 2005. Well, around that time, Sports Illustrated was still a really, really big deal. Now, you could kind of see the writing on the wall a little bit in terms of the changing of the industry, going less from print, less from news media, actual actual magazines and actual physical newspapers, to obviously more online. But... The thing is, there's no reason that simply because that's the evolution of the business that Sports Illustrated had to die and that all these various newspapers have either died or, frankly, like the Columbia Daily Tribune, have become a complete shell of themselves. Because for all this talk of, oh, everything is short form now, of course, yes, there's a push to TikTok and YouTube short forms and all that kind of stuff versus the sort of long-form storytelling that Sports Illustrated was known for, I don't think that's a really, I don't think that's a perfect explanation. And honestly, I think that's kind of an excuse. Because the truth is, Sports Illustrated, for whatever reason, like a lot of big businesses that have been around for decades, they arrogantly felt like they didn't really need to evolve. And the evolution that they did online essentially was just giving away their product for free at a certain point. And if at a certain point they tried to bring it back as a lot of media companies did and try to then charge, well, the horse had kind of left the barn at that point. And by the way, even though, yes, this maybe the long form magazine feature story perhaps isn't as desirable as it used to be. There is a lot of long form types of media still on the internet, including podcasts, most notably that are actually incredibly popular on the internet. So to me, it was a, a cop out by sports illustrated to be like it, it, for people making excuses for sports illustrated who say, Oh, it's so sad that gosh, darn it. Sports Illustrated's no longer around. Well, you notice all those people in media who were crying about it a few days ago have now completely moved on from it. And the topic is basically on the back burner. We've all moved on and we're, we're looking at, at Twitter. We're listening to podcasts, YouTube shows, TikTok videos, whatever it might be. The fact that Sports Illustrated never evolved is on them because guess what? You look at something like Apple Computer, and Apple Computer, which I'm looking at right now, hey, Apple has been around as long as my life, too. It's been around forever, and yeah, computers have changed dramatically in my lifetime. But guess what? Apple evolved, and at one point, Apple was getting its butt whipped by Microsoft, but at a certain point, their product changed, they got better, they evolved with the times. And at a certain point, Sports Illustrated, it's on you. Don't blame the ever-changing landscape because at a certain point, if you don't evolve, you're going to die. And that's exactly what we saw with Sports Illustrated. And, well, hopefully this show isn't going to die anytime soon. Apologies for not my best start to this show. I was felt like I was rushing a little bit there because, frankly, I am rushing a little bit. I am. I have very precious little time today. Had a had an accident in front of me that t- threw me off my game. Now I've got to relieve my babysitter early because she's sick. So with all that being said, I truly need to get the heck out of here. So let's wrap this thing up. I'll see you all next time right here on Locked on Mizzou.